Deuteronomy 8. I suppose you figured that out from the video. Deuteronomy 8, if you'll turn there. Wilderness in the Bible. Tell me a Bible character that was known for their wilderness experience. Sandy. John the Baptist in the wilderness. Alicia. Jesus. Wilderness survivalist par excellence, right? Someone else. Who else? We got Jesus, John the Baptizer. Tim? Tim or Tim? Either Tim. Elijah, okay, check, I got that one too. Go ahead, Tim. Moses, prime example in the Old Testament probably, right? Who else? Yes, Abraham, of course, that's even on the video, right? That's a good one. That's another one. You're missing one of the best ones so far yet. David, right? David in the Old Testament is running from Saul and all kinds of things in the wilderness. Anybody else? That's about the ones I had mostly. Did anyone say Elijah? Did we say that yet? You said that, right, Tim? Okay, good. How about, okay, not a person, but maybe a group of people. Israelites, right? I mean, there's the paradigm for everybody. Um, I have a book on my desk, and it's called Wilderness Survival Guide. And it's by Jason Marsteiner who, interesting story, when you read his bio a little bit, he's an ex-Marine, 21 years, he was in the military, he was in a group called S-E-R-E, which stands for Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape. Um, He was so good at it, he began to train people on it, and he trained people, and there's all, it's really a lot to it, but all kinds of different circumstances, conditions, situations that were really, really hard to survive in. And he taught them how to do that. And even after he, his exit from the military, he continued to do a lot of that. And then he put this manual together, or this guide for us. In it, at the very beginning, he has a chapter that's called Fit for the Wilderness. And the idea is, are you prepared? And he says in one line what I thought was a key phrase. He says, situational awareness is key. And part of that, he said, is this. Before you ever can think about surviving in the wilderness, you have to know yourself. Um, He said this. You should know yourself and accept your limitations. Know yourself. What are you about? I have found in my experience, and most of all in the Bible, wilderness experience, trials, difficulties. I know that it's famously popular to think that trials are, make you a better person. I have found that to be rarely true or less common, let's put it that way. I have found that trials and testing are more in the Bible to this extent, that they reveal who you really are. Um, They can, after they reveal that, it can refine you. Uh, That does happen, but believe it or not, not as commonly as just demonstrating the person that you really are. Um, In this text, and I want to show you, because we're not going to read all 20 verses, um, but we are going to refer to a lot of them, and I want to give you the structure, because I think that Jason, who wrote the book, had it right. You do have to, obviously, first off, know God. That would be most important, but you have to know yourself, and 
The, Moses in Deuteronomy 8 does it in a number of ways. Let me show you the main ones. The word heart is used four times. Now, I, because it's grammatically put together this way, there are two paragraphs in Deuteronomy 8. You know, Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. So this is not the first rendition. This is a rendition looking back, all right? So Moses is going to say in verses 1 through 10, that's one paragraph, in verses 11 through 20. And what you're going to find, and I want to demonstrate you to not just for literary or grammatical reasons, but so that you can get the point of what he's trying to say. Verses 8, one, chapter 8, 1 through 10, and 11 through 20 are two paragraphs that are side by side, and they are parallel. There's a lot of things in both of those paragraphs that are repeated. And I want to show you why. It's a good study technique to see as well when the Bible does this in many places. And I want to show you. And so I'm going to go through a list, but I want to show you the main one first because I think it's the key to understanding all of the, the other ones. And so I'm going to start with a principle and then I want to expound it to you a little bit before we get going a little bit further tonight. And that is this. If you're going to survive in the wilderness, it's an inside-out process. What I read in the survival guide by Jason, um, the military guy, was almost all, almost all of it was about the outside. Having the right gear, having the right tools, being in condition. Do you have food? Do you have water? Do you have... And there's all these things, that, and obviously those would be incredibly necessary and without them you wouldn't survive no one wants to say that none of those matter because they matter greatly but what's true physically in a wilderness isn't the same altogether as it is surviving in a spiritual wilderness and what you have to have and what Moses lets the people of God know and wants us to know that the spiritual lessons you have to live out even in a physical wilderness start on the inside not the outside and he demonstrates or communicates that by the word heart. And they're not, it's not only, please note in your Bible, draw circles, whatever you have to do to remember this. It's foundational to what we're going to say in this series on wilderness experiences. Is It's not just mentioned four times, the word heart, but they come in two couplets, which I believe are bracketed for a reason. And I want to show you. So let's look at them. Can I show you? It's chapter 8, verse 2, 5. Those are the first two, and they go together. And then chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 8, verses 14 and 17. Now notice, because I'm going to show you this numerous times, a couple, the two pairs of the heart couplet in the first paragraph, and there's a heart couplet in the second paragraph, because he's going to say very similar things, just in different ways, and he wants you to get the nuances of it to make a point. All right, now he's going to do that in other things, but we're going to take this one first because I think the inside is foundational to what God wants his people to do and live in the wilderness on the outside. So let me put that together for you. Chapter 8, verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart. Okay? whether you would keep his commandments or not. Very similar phraseology in verse 5. Know that in your heart, that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines for you. Both instances of what's in your heart are for the purpose of keeping his commandments. So if you're going to survive by being obedient to God's word in the wilderness... You have to have a certain inside. You have to have a certain kind of heart. 
And he's going to tell us because it's going to reveal who you are. See, here's what wilderness does. Ready? It tests the limits of your obedience. In other words, we'd say today, how far will you go in order to obey God's word? Now, there's a lot of us, and we would say, you know, and you don't come out and say this or, you know, think about it in your mind. Say, well, you know, if it gets to be this hard, I'm done with that obedience stuff. No one says that. But we do it in our lives. You know, I have had people say, hey, I believe God's word, but I really want to, you know, marry this lost person. So, you know, I'd rather be with somebody and not be with someone. And that's where it cuts off. It just stops. I don't do that. See, you know, and I want to be obedient and I would go this far. But when God starts taking this from me, I draw the line. Do you ever, you know, you, you ever do that? I, I know we have, we all have. You know, I'll go, I'll follow God, but if he doesn't change this in my life, if he doesn't answer this prayer, if God doesn't come through for me, see, in the wilderness does that. Trials and tribulations and difficulties, here's what it does. It tests the limits of your obedience. Do you have limitations? In a minute, we're gonna see Jesus, who quotes this passage in Deuteronomy 8, 3, and Matthew 4, 4, and Luke 4 in his temptation in the wilderness, the difference between him and us is that he has no limitations on his obedience. He will be, let me quote it for you, Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery or something to be grasped after, to be equal with God, made of himself of no reputation, took on himself the form of a servant, was made the likeness of men, and became obedient. Now, would there be a limitation on his obedience? Because Hebrews 5, 8 says, Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. See, he learned obedience and wilderness experiences suffering. He did not go like we do from disobedience to obedience. But even as the Son of God, he went from one level of obedience to another, to greater costs, greater responsibility, greater pain. The more he obeyed, the more he suffered, the more he experienced wilderness. So Philippians says, and he became obedient, not disobedience to obedience, but to the greatest level of obedience. He became obedient, what's the limit? There is no, unto death. So how far would Jesus go? All the way. He would rather die than be disobedient, even if it cost him his life. That's what we're after. And the wilderness reveals that in your life and mine. How far will you go? And the first one says, the first structure is, to, to verse 2, verse 5, that he did it for humility. Humility. Now, you know as well as I do, and he said on the, experience, on the video that God hates arrogance. So God humbles us. In fact, look at it and circle it again. Ready? Verse 2, that he might humble you. And he humbled you, verse 3, and then those are the first paragraph. Second paragraph has, verse 16, that he might humble you. See it again? So in the first paragraph, he talks about your heart. The second one, he talks about your heart. In the first paragraph, he talks about the need for humility. 
And the second paragraph, he talks about the need for humility. Why? Because these are things that you have to have down. If you're going to have survival training and pass the wilderness test, you have to have a heart. What kind of heart? A humble heart. A humble heart. In the Wilderness Survival Guide, he says this, Ego kills in the wilderness, so do your best to put it aside. (laughs) In other words... If you go to the wilderness and you think you got it all together and you think you can handle it and you're all by yourself and you can, it's okay, you can do it, you're in for big trouble. You know what I found about wilderness? Maybe you've experienced this. You know what wilderness is for? It's to bring you and I to the end of ourselves. That's what humility is. And in the humility God gives us, through the wilderness experience, it is purposed to help us keep his commandments. Why? Because, tell me you have an experience this. When you get in the wilderness and you're feeling frustrated, angry, bitter, tired, upset, whatever it is, you begin to think that you know better. You begin to think that, oh God, I don't think you've got this one down very well. Because I would do way better if this wasn't happening or it was lessened or you would take it away. And God, not only am I in this wilderness, but I've been in this wilderness a long time. I mean, read the text. I mean, for my American eyes and ears, I'm reading these words multiple times. Forty years. I don't like to sit more than 40 extra seconds at a light. So I'm thinking 40 years, 40 years. That is half Pastor Crompton's age. So that's a long time, 40 years. Imagine that, decade after decade. Now, you watch, you know, part of the genius of the video is, I mean, there's not any Hilton out there. You're not getting a break, right? It's 40 years of what are we going to do today to live, right? That's bad stuff. 40 days would be bad enough. 40 years? Imagine that. And we begin to think, what? I don't know if God knows what he's doing. Right? And you get a little arrogant. And let me tell you, you get a little proud. And what his commandments are for are not to power over us to make us do what he wants. His commandments are, you learn to obey me in the most difficult circumstances, right? Because that's what ties you, your heart, to mine. So I want you to be able to trust me because the best things I can do and make out of your life and molding and forming and shaping you, you'll never get them unless you obey my words in the most difficult times of your life. Hold your finger here, would you please, and turn to Matthew 4. Jesus, we named him. He is... The paradigmatic person when it comes to wilderness survival. Jesus, verse 1 of chapter 4 of Matthew, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So notice first, no accidents, only appointments. By the way, read this in light of Israel's wilderness wanderings because you're supposed to see Israel was led by God in the fiery pillar and all that in the cloud by day. He led them into the wilderness. God wanted them. He purposely did it. 
Now, that might blow your mind. We could spend time talking about that, that tonight you're in a wilderness situation and you're really struggling with it. And the fact that God purposely let you go into it and led you there, that would be something we'd have to grapple with, right? But he leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said this. Now, I'm going to make one more point and we're going to come back and finish this text, Lord willing, next week. He says this, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, I want you to underline this. We're going to do a little word study. I'm going to give you a principle and we'll be done. The word if is a conditional phrase in the original language. And to be not too technical, but to let you know, it's a first class condition. And it means not if, and like we think if, I mean, uh, it's questionable, maybe so. Not in this sentence. This is the most definite way you can say something. So if would be better, maybe since or because would be the better translation. Because you understand, Satan doesn't doubt that Jesus is the son of God. You know that, right? I mean, he knows better than anybody else who Jesus is. Just like the demons who always confess that Jesus is God. They know. So this is not an if like, oh, Jesus, I'm not really sure. No, this is, here's what he's doing. Because of who you are, you are the son of God. I want you to use your deity. I want you to use your power. And I want you to use it the way I, th- I tell you to. So he says, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. What did God give his people in the wilderness? Bread, manna. He says, listen, isn't God your father? Shouldn't he be taking care of you? Listen, in other words, here's the oldest lie in the book, right? Oh, if you follow God and do things his way and you wait for him and you work through the wilderness, you're going to starve to death. Isn't, the, isn't this the lie of Satan, one of the greatest ones? Isn't this the lie that Adam and Eve believed from the very beginning? You know what it is? If you live for God, you'll be miserable. But if you do what you want to do, you'll be happy right? If I obey God, my life will be grim. But if I do what I want, I'll find all the satisfaction and pleasure I'm looking for. He's been telling that lie from the very beginning, and he springs it on Jesus and said, listen, you're the son of God. Shouldn't your father come here? Take your power. Use it to turn stones into bread. Now listen, you're supposed to compare this to Adam in the garden Adam and Eve had the perfect environment, a garden, everything they wanted. The only one thing they couldn't take was from the forbidden tree, but they had the perfect circumstances. You have the second Adam, Jesus, in far worse circumstances. There was no garden. There was no food. There was no water. He had nothing. The first Adam, having everything, took what was forbidden of him when God would have given it to him later if he would have passed the test by staying away from it, but he didn't. So he did things his own way, and it cost all of us everything. The second Adam, in far worse circumstances, listen, if Jesus would have turned the stones into bread, it would have been just as wicked when he's supposed to be fasting for 40 days because who led him into the wilderness? The Spirit. He's supposed to fast there 40 days. He's going to eat when Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, tells him to eat, Right? Through the Holy Spirit, God's going to say, hey, when the 40 days are up and you pass the test, I'm going to give you what you want, but I'm going to give it to you on my terms and my time. See, Adam blew all of that off 
And for Jesus to eat the bread or make it stones into bread would have been like Adam taking the fruit from the tree. He would have failed the test. But see, Jesus is everything Adam is not. And he shows us how to pass the wilderness test. And here's what it is. You have to know who you are because who you are will determine what you do. See, Jesus says this, I am the son of God. Therefore, I'm not going to turn the stones into bread. I'm going to wait for God in the wilderness for his timing and his provision and his way. Now, you follow the little thread, ready, the word study, of the Son of God all the way through the chapters. There's about 14 times it's used. But what's unusual in Matthew's gospel, at the beginning of the, of the gospel and at the end of the gospel, you have the same temptation in different circumstances by different people. Satan is tempting Jesus with the phrase twice in Matthew 4, the beginning and ending, if you're the Son of God. Throw yourself down because the angels will come and get you. If you're the son of God, I'm going to give you the kingdoms, right? So he tells them, if you're the son of God, since you are the son of God, do things your way. Don't wait for God. Use your power. At the end of the book, three times in chapter 26 and 27, here's what the religious leaders say when they're trying Jesus and when he's on the cross. Tell us the truth. Are you the son of God? On the cross, he's dying, nailed on the cross, the worst wilderness experience in all of history. And here's what the religious leaders say as they look up to him. If he's the son of God, come down from that cross. What's what's happening? The same satanic temptation Back in the early chapters, the devil said, hey, if you're the son of God, use your power to turn it into stones. The religious religious leaders, if you're the son of God, use your power, take the nails off, walk down here and show us who you really are. Get this, is this crazy? The last time the phrase son of God is used is not by a Jew, not by a disciple. You know who says it? The Roman soldier standing there When no one else can see what it means to be the son of God, Jesus breathes his last and dies. And then the Roman soldier guy says this, truly this man was the son of God. By the way, put that in Roman terms because Caesar was the son of God because his dad, who was the first emperor, proclaimed himself to be a God, which made his son a son of a God. And everybody in the known world other than Jewish people would have said, no, Caesar is the son of God. This Roman guy brought up in that religious cult said this, no, not Caesar, this guy. No, not the guy sitting in power in Rome on the throne. This guy on a cross who just died. See, he is it. He sees it. He sees what it means to be the son of God. Let me tell you this. For us and for your children tonight, and I'm going to say it and then we'll be done and we'll develop it next time. You'll never survive in the wilderness if you do not know who you are. You know why? Because if you think that you're somebody you're not, you'll be living in the wrong story and you won't even know what to do with wilderness. See, Christians 
because we have a Savior who died on the cross and took our wilderness, we know what the story is. His paradigm, his pattern of what wilderness means and how you live in it and how you're better than Israel and how you do all the things that they didn't do. See, that's what we follow. But we expect wildernesses and we know that they're coming and we've been taught how to respond to them. But if you're not living in the Jesus story every day because you don't see yourself or who you really are, see, when they come your way, you won't know what to do, how to respond. You won't know what to expect. You won't, know, you won't be able to handle how long it goes. You won't be able to know how when it hurts and the pain. You won't know what to do with any of it because you're not following the pattern. You're not living in the story. And I'm afraid that there's a lot of God's people and we're training or not training our kids. They're not living in the story. They don't really know who they are and what that means for their life. And let me tell you this. If you don't either then wilderness will destroy you. I've seen it, unfortunately, way too many times. And folks, we have to know two things. It's an inside-out process to live in the wilderness and survive. And you have to know who you are. Far more in the text that we'll talk about, Lord willing, next week if you come back. But pray this this week. Lord, humble my heart. Let me come to the end of myself that I may learn to trust you in the wilderness. Teach me what it means to be a son of God and how that means that I should respond to the wilderness in my life. You do that this week and we'll talk more about it, Lord willing, next Wednesday night. Let's pray. Father, I don't know tonight in this room and all of God's people, I don't know what wildernesses are being experienced. Financial, health, relational, emotional, spiritual, we might want to call it. Father, you know all that people face and how they're facing it. I'm so thankful that we have this confidence that no matter what, what wilderness we're facing, that we can face it and live in victory because Jesus has faced the worst wilderness and passed the test. The second Adam has triumphed and we can follow in his steps. Help us in these weeks to come that we might see your hand and your purposes for wilderness and allow that to form and shape our lives both as individuals, as families, and as a corporate community that in our wilderness we might look like and act like Jesus and through it at the end become more like him. We pray in his name. Amen.